Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. There he is. <laughs> oh, well, let's stand together and go ahead and uh, worship our great God.
said amen you guys can be seated this time so welcome thanks for joining us here this morning on a wonderful uh, Sunday morning to come together and worship a great God who deserves all of our honor and glory and praise uh, this morning we're gonna start with an announcement um, from Pastor Ed so I'll have him come up right now 
Well, the last couple of weeks I told you about uh, an opportunity that you have here to join with people all over the world, especially in the United States and a lot of churches, that a 40-day time of prayer for our nation. And in, uh, involved in, the, in, in an insert into this uh, little booklet is uh, something that I put in just to help us to focus. And one of the things that we keep coming back to this over and over, whether it does it in the booklet or not, you do it, and that is focus on Second uh, Chronicles 7.14. And that's where it says, if my people who are called by my name. So we're his people, we're called by his name, and if we do something, four things, notice what it says, that if you will humble yourselves, humble yourselves before God, that means it's, it's time every once in a while to just get on our knees if you're not in the habit of doing that, if you're able to do it. Humble yourself, pray, seek God's face, number three, and number four, turn from your wicked ways, God says. The, the wrong things that you do and that you know you're doing wrong things, and you turn from them, you ask God's forgiveness, you repent of them and confess them before him. And then it says, when you do that, this is what I will do. If you do these things from the depth of your heart and your soul, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sins, and I will also heal your land as a country. We need healing. We need help. So today, whether you started it this past week, uh, today, there's, uh, at least start today with the 40 days, and that will take you a couple of days past the election. It's not just for the election we're doing this. We're doing it because our nation needs it. And God is the one who can change things. And uh, so if you haven't gotten one, don't forget when you leave to go by the desk out there and pick up one of these. There, there's a few left. And we want everybody that uh, is willing to do it, uh, take it and use it for the next 40 days. Thank you. Thanks, Pastor Ed. Appreciate that announcement and appreciate you leading us um, through that. So let's go to now to the Lord um, in, a, in a time of prayer um, as we continue our worship uh, this morning. Lord, we, you know, hearing, hearing what Pastor Ed said, Lord, I, I right now want to just confess. Uh, I want to confess that I am a sinner. Lord, that I, I fall short of who you are and what you deserve week in and week out. In little ways, in big ways, Lord, I fail. But I know that your love has overcome that. I know in my heart and my soul that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I pray, Lord, that I would establish my life, that we would establish our lives on you as our rock and our salvation. Not that there won't be issues, not that there won't be problems and, and failures in the future, but that we know that we continue to strive and become closer to you because of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, because of the change that you started, because we can become more like you with every step we get closer to being with you in glory. Lord, help us this morning to truly chase after you with our hearts because we want to know who you are. We want to know you better. It's in Jesus Christ's name we do pray.
Amen.
do need you. We need you in a big way. Lord, be our leader this morning. May we be the followers. May you teach us from your word. It's in Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. If you would take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 14. We're going to walk through verses 8 through 18. Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 18. I love what Vadi Bachman says. He says, our worship is not a response to how Jesus makes us feel. Our worship is a response to Jesus' worth regardless of how we feel. I hope that's you today. I hope that can be the theme of our heart. Regardless of how we feel this morning, that it is because of the worth of Jesus that we have the privilege to worship him and to sing of his glory and to now dig into the word and to worship him through studying it and learning it and then applying it to our lives. Um, I'm excited to dig into the word this morning with you. Uh, I had the privilege this week to do some intensive study uh, with a friend of mine, a pastor friend and some new pastor friends uh, on a Zoom call all week um, as we walked through some discipleship and evangelism uh, with E3. And then uh, we covered parts of Acts as well. And so that was uh, very good. And I'm excited to be able to share some tools with you um, in the future as we think about how we get to display the glory of God. That was one of the things I was uh, challenged with. Uh, we saw in, in Genesis when we were studying, um, God says to Adam and to Eve, be fruitful, multiply, and what? Go out, all right, and display the glory of God. And uh, we see that even with uh, as they uh, move out of the garden and as uh, they come to the Tower of Babel, they're not doing that. They're keeping it to themselves. Uh, they're, they're, they're making this big tower, uh, trying to reach God. And, uh, and, and God spreads them out so that they may go out and multiply and ultimately to declare his glory. And, uh, and then we see that that that's the charge that we've been given as the church um, to be able to display and to share the glory of God uh, with mankind. And so we come to a passage today in Acts chapter 14. I want to read it with you and, uh, and then we'll kind of uh, digest it and walk through it. And, and you may think as we, after we get done reading through it, what's the application for today? But let me tell you, there's some, there's some deep application, I believe, for us. And so I hope that, I hope that you will be in allow the spirit of God to impact you this morning. So before we even read it, and uh, I hesitated, do I ask them to do this or do I not? I'm going to ask you to do it. If you can't, that's okay. I know some of you physically cannot do this, but would you be willing, would you be willing just to take a moment and if you can get on your knees and would you pray and would you ask God to, to do a work in your heart this morning? And if you're not able to get on your knees, that's Okay. Um, you, you pray right where you're at, but physically, if you're able, would, would you humble yourself, 
um, to get on your knees and to pray. And then I'll close us in this time asking for God to work in us. Lord, we come as broken people. We think so often that we're something special. So often we're filled with pride and a self-righteousness. Lord, please forgive us. Lord, thank you that we can humble ourselves before you knowing that your mercy and your grace is rich. Lord, we implore you this morning, we beg of you asking that your spirit would work in our minds and our hearts. Lord, would you show up in this place today would you do your work in us? Lord, we don't want this to be just another service, just another time of preaching and singing. Lord, we need more. And what we need more of is we need more of you and more of your spirit's work in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that when we humble ourselves before you, you tell us that you will lift us up. And so, Lord, this morning, may you encourage our hearts and our minds. Show us your way. Show us how you desire for us to live. None of us knows how much longer we have on this earth, but, Lord, you do, and you've set us here to display your glory. So, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified during this time and through the days ahead, that we may live out what we hear this morning. The truths of your word may be evident as we live by faith. We pray, pray this in the precious name of Jesus, the Christ, our Savior. Amen. Whew. Head rush. Acts chapter 14. Let's read it together. Verses 8 through 18. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, 
The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the, and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So I've labeled today, uh, faith to be made well. What we see here in the text, um, we see that ultimately, uh, and we'll go to the map there, Kim, if you would. Um, they're moving um, because of some persecution that's taking place. Um, so they're now moving down to Lystra. They were up at Iconium before. And uh, they're now moved to Lystra, and so they're in the city of Lystra. And as they're there preaching, as Barnabas and Paul are out, it seems that they are out in the community here. They're not in a synagogue. The text doesn't tell us that they're in a synagogue. And in fact, um, uh, we're going to see that these were not Jews and Greeks. These were actually um, barbarians as they are defined later in Romans, Romans chapter 1. And so they're speaking um, to other nations here. And as they're speaking in the public place, um, Paul comes across and he sees this man. Uh, this man was crippled from birth. And uh, being crippled from birth, he had never walked. Um, he was listening to Paul speak, verse 9. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand, stand up, get up. So Paul, if I'm Paul, and I look out, and let's say, for example, Tom Manley. Say, Tom, I see you listening. You haven't fallen asleep yet, so that's good. Your girls are over there. They're not there to elbow you. Tom's, Tom's listening intently, and I stare at him, and I say, get up. Because Tom has never walked in his life. He's sitting there, and he's listening intently. Paul sees this man who, who again, uh, it's interesting that we don't have a name. This isn't, there isn't a name for this man. Um, and the nameless people in the Bible is, is great. And it, it just means that God was impacting just normal people. And it's almost like we can put ourselves there um, in the different scenarios. And so Paul looks intently, his gaze is fixed upon and that's probably important because of what we see in the context of what's going to happen then. So Paul looks intently. He speaks loudly. Get up. And the man gets up. He's healed. Immediate, immediate healing that takes place. Now, when it says when the crowd saw what Paul had done, verse 11, when the crowd saw this, um, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. 
So what, what we see is this idea that, that there was a gaze, there was a fixed look, and then there was a, a loud voice, and then the people saw the response of that and the miracle that took place, and they said, that those men must be gods. All right. It wasn't just the one act of the miracle. It was the fact that they were, that Paul was gazed upon this man, that he spoke loudly and the healing took place. And so they view um, Paul and Barnabas now as gods, the gods that they were worshiping there in Lystra. And if you look, Lystra is, uh, is a pretty, pretty sophisticated city in the sense that their people probably, they, they were dual language. We see here that they're speaking in, um, in Lyconian, but they're also listening because Paul and Barnabas are speaking in Greek. And so their dual language, they haven't given up their home language, but they've learned Greek through the years. And there's a huge temple uh, that, that is where they worship Zeus. Zeus is the main god of the gods that they, the pagan gods that, they, that Greece, uh, the Greeks would have been worshiping. And so we kind of see then a description of this. Um, they called Barnabas Zeus. Zeus was the main one, which is kind of interesting in a sense when they think about why were they naming Barnabas Zeus and then Paul Hermes? Why wouldn't it be the other way? We don't know for sure. Um, we, we do know Paul was the one who was doing most of the speaking. And Hermes is known as, um, as Zeus's son who would then communicate. I think it probably had something to do with their stature and the way they looked as well. I think Barnabas probably looked more like the image that they had made for Zeus. This big burly guy. And, uh, and Paul didn't quite have that same stature, all right? He was shorter and, uh, and, and just uh, didn't have that. So they took their stature and kind of their roles. And I think this is kind of important in a sense where we see um, Paul, Paul and Barnabas, Paul is learning from Barnabas. And we see that throughout. And, and at this point, um, even, even the people that they're preaching and teaching to see Barnabas as the leader here. And so there's a mentoring that's taking place. We kind of just throw Paul, as soon as he gets saved, oh, he's got it all figured out. No, there's still a process that he's learning. And as he's preaching, Barnabas is there as his mentor, teaching him and showing him. And so this kind of gives us a little bit of insight that I think is helpful in seeing that. And so these people are speaking in Lyconian, their own native language. And they're saying, these guys are the gods. The gods have come down to us. And they look like one of us, but the gods have come upon us. Some of this is a reference to the story of, of why they put the temple there in Lystra to Zeus. And there's, uh, you can do some reading on that. Part of that comes uh, to this, uh, this myth, this story that uh, two gods had come and walked through that city. And nobody was willing to help them until a couple uh, took them in and gave them shelter and gave them help. And then, uh, and then in that, the, they, were been, they were given a bunch of things and then, and then the temple uh, w- came out of that. And so in a reference, they don't, they don't want to miss, hey, the gods have come to us again. It would have been that myth that would have been passed down. Uh, We don't want to miss this. The gods have come. We want to make sure that we do this right this time. 
And so that gives you a little bit more background of understanding of why are they just taking two guys and doing this is because part of their stories that have been passed to them, the mythology is, hey, there were, there were gods that came as men before and we missed it and we better make sure we don't miss it this time. And so Paul and Barnabas are there and, uh, and it says in verse 12, Paul or Barnabas, they called Zeus, Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And in uh, verse 13, we see the priest of the temple, the priest of the temple of Zeus, uh, whose temple was at the entrance of the city. He brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. And so as, as Paul and Barnabas are proclaiming Jesus, all right, they're telling the story of Jesus and they see this man who is lame and, and Paul speaks and he's immediately healed. All the crowds see this. Um, they're no longer hearing the message, all right? They're distracted, and their distraction is, let's, get, let's go to the temple, and let's get, what, the oxen, and we're going to get garlands, which were the little wreaths that they would put on, and so I'm sure they wanted to put those little wreaths upon Paul and Barnabas so that they could lift them up and, and, and give them the rightful place of authority and they were going to celebrate and they said let's do this and so the crowds are working each other up and uh, and and so they want to offer the sacrifices now what's interesting is what's Paul and Barnabas doing here during this we don't see a whole lot so as the crowds are rushing together the priests go get the oxen and and, and the garland what's Paul and Barnabas doing they're probably still teaching but I don't know if people are listening and so they finally realize what's going on, verse 14, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, now pause here a second, this is the second reference, we had one earlier in verse 4, where Barnabas and Paul are called the apostles. It's the only time in the book of Acts that you're going to see that reference. Dr. Luke is not trying to defend Barnabas and Paul as apostles here. He's not trying to defend them, and there's, there's a lot of different thought about the name apostles, capital A apostle, lowercase apostles. We're not going to get into all that this morning, but I will just say the reason why I think Dr. Luke is using this term apostle for Paul and Barnabas is to, to emphasize that they had the authority to go out and to preach the gospel. Just as we saw in Acts 1.8, as Jesus is telling the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Give witness to what you have seen and what you've heard. Paul and Barnabas have been given that authority, and Dr. Luke wants to make it clear to us as they've gone, because of who they are going to. I believe this is part of this. Because of who they are going to, they have this authority to go to them. Because nobody else was. They're going to the, quote, barbarians, and we're going to look at that in just a moment in Romans chapter 1. They're going to the people that the Jews and the, even the Greeks would say, you don't, you don't go talk to them. You don't, you don't, they're off on their own. And so Paul and Barnabas have been given this authority to go and to preach the good news. And so here they are as apostles. Uh, when they heard of what the crowds were doing and what this priest uh, of Zeus was doing, uh, they tore their garments and they rushed out into the crowd. And so the tearing of the garments is, is a, a, a real display of grief, of sorrow and horror. They cannot believe what is happening. And so they rip their clothes, not because they want to show their muscles and display that, 
I won't do that this morning because you'll, it'll be a big distraction this morning for, for you. There's not a whole lot of muscle here. All I will say is it, it is a real display, and we see it throughout the Bible even, of, of when the garments are torn, there is a deep remorse, uh, a deep horror. Um, even, even We see this even in the religious leaders of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes. When Jesus proclaims who he is, that he is God, that he is I am, the chief priest tears his garments in a display of horror. All right, we see Paul and Barnabas here just tearing their garments because they cannot believe what is taking place and what's happening. Now, let's look into see what Paul says as he talks to the crowd, as they're trying to offer up sacrifices to these, to the gods, to Paul and Barnabas. Verse 15. Men, why are you doing these things? I don't know about you, but sometimes we look at our world and we ask that same question. Why are people doing these things? Maybe you look at your children and you've asked that question. Why are you doing these things? He wants to know, what, what is going on? It, it's, not, it's not a statement of endurement. It's a statement of what in the world are you thinking? Because they've, they've already displayed their grief and their horror. Paul is saying, what are you, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. Meaning, we're not God sent here just to look like men. We have the same nature as each one of you. Now, the cool part about this is, is we're all made in the same nature. And it doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter uh, where you're living or what has taken place, uh, what your ethnicity is. Um, you and I and all of mankind, we are made in the same nature. And that is in the image of our creator, God. And so... That's critical when we think about how we display the gospel message in our lives. That, that, that we look at mankind. That we're all on the same level playing field here. We all start there. And, and so Paul says that. Listen, we, we are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news. That you should turn from these vain things to a living God. And so as Paul goes on, he says this says really four things. The first is turn to a living God. And so he says, turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And so the first is turn to a living God. He, he is proclaiming to them, listen, there is a living God. We are not Gods, there is not multiple gods, but there is a singular God, and He is alive. He's not dead. He's not something that you need to offer sacrifices to. No, the true and living God is alive, and there is one. And so the second part of this is God is the sovereign creator, and He is one God. And so He says here, it is the God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He doesn't leave anything out. When you think about that description, there's not one area that is left out from God's creation and God being sovereign in control of all things. And so he's making an emphasis. There is one 
true living God and he's created everything that you see. The third is next. It says in past generations, verse 16, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And so the third is we see God's mercy to overlook. He overlooked their past. So we see evidence that Paul is displaying and saying, listen, there, there, there is this creator God who has seen all mankind and has looked past, who has shown mercy. His judgment hasn't come yet. And then the fourth part of that is God's goodness to provide. Ultimately, it is this creator God who has provided, um, not your fertility gods, not your gods that you think that, that you're worshiping over here that's going to give you rain or that's going to allow the babies to be born or, or things to take place. No, there is one God and he is the one who has provided goodness to you. So even in this, what's their response? Verse 18, even with these words, they, are, they scarcely restrained the people from offering a sacrifice to them. If you have your Bibles with you, still there in front of you, just flip a couple um, pages to Romans chapter 1. Now, this first verse isn't going to be up on the screen, but, but Romans 1, 18 through 25 will be. But I want you to take a look at verse 14, because Paul talks about what, what he's been doing and the harvest that's been taking place. And in verse 14, he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I think this is a reference to the people that he is, where he is right now in Lystra. These are, quote, the barbarians. The ones that the Jewish uh, believers would have looked at and said, why would you ever go talk to them? Those outcasts. And yet Paul is saying, I am under obligation. I have been called by God. I've got to proclaim to these men and women. So jump down to Romans 1, verse 18 now, and, uh, and I'll read through verse 25. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Kind of what we heard before. For what, we, what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for all that they knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile or futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 
Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It's what we just read in Acts 14, is it not? It's the same story in parallel when Paul is writing to those who are in Rome. He's referencing back to his experience of what he has seen as he has gone out preaching and living the gospel message, displaying, quote, the way. He's sharing the good news and the people don't buy in. Why? Because their faith is in something different. They're trusting the creature rather than the creator. They have given themselves over to something that isn't the truth. They've exchanged the truth for a lie. The beauty of our passage in Acts is there is a man who believed, though. There's a man who had faith. Who looked at everything and probably tried everything that he could. He had been lame and had no hope in and of himself. But when he heard the good news that Paul was preaching, something clicked. He believed. He had faith. He had faith in the true creator God. And at that very moment when Paul looked at him and gazed and saw that he could believe, he was healed immediately. And he was able to walk for the first time in his life. Think about what that must have felt like. For the first time ever in his life, he gets to walk. He gets to run. He is no longer dependent upon anybody else to get him from place A to place B. He has a new freedom. That's what we've been given. Jesus Christ sets us free from the bondage of sin. He gives us hope and he gives us life. Most of you know that. And so this morning I'm probably preaching to the choir. Thankfully, you don't have to all fit up here. You're out there. And as you're listening this morning, you say, yeah, I believe in the creator God. I want to challenge you this morning to think about what does that look like in your life? Because there is a world that is lost and dying that has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They're grasping, they're looking for something. Some of them don't want the truth. We're going to see next week what happens ultimately to Paul. Um, a little disclaimer here. I'll spoil it for you. He gets stoned. He gets thrown outside of the city and stoned and he's left for dead. Now, whether or not he's dead or not, we don't know. Ultimately, and here's the thing. I don't think they were bad at stoning people back then. So it wasn't like, oh, they never had any experience. And, you know, well, they threw the rock a few times bad there. No, they were good at it. 
so ultimately what was happening, people were rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we think that because we live in America in 2020, that people should just accept the gospel. Well, part of it is, is we need to share the gospel. You know what I heard this week? I heard a stat. And I, I, stats, and this is not in any way to say stats aren't good. So Dr. Steiner, I know he is all about stats and he's really, really good at it. Here's the stat though, just to think about, even if a percentage of it is wrong, there's, got, there's a lot of truth in it. 98%, 98% who are listening here today, 98% of you have not shared your, your faith with somebody in the last year. Think about that. You have not openly shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody outside of your, your immediate family. You, you have not shared it, 98% of the people. And then we wonder why our world is the way it is. It's not our responsibility to change people, but it is our responsibility to live out the glory of God. It is our responsibility when we see untruth to approach that untruth and say, no, this is the truth. There is a creator God that offers you hope and offers you life. But what happens? Our pride gets in the way. Our, our self-righteousness, our desire to say, God, I'm here and I'll worship you on Sunday. But when I live out throughout my week, I don't know if I can trust you. God, I don't know if I can trust you to take care of my family because if I share Jesus, then maybe I'll lose my job or maybe I'll lose my friends at school if I talk about Jesus or if I read my Bible during the lunch hour, maybe, maybe I'll get in trouble. Guys, it is time. We must stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying be arrogant. I'm not saying shove it in people's faces. I'm saying be kind because there are people who are dying and going to hell. They don't have hope today. And we have the hope. We have the hope of Jesus Christ. So will you share? Simple tool. How do you share? Simple tool. Because of what God has done for me, I was here. So I was lost and scared. But then someone told me about Jesus and I found hope and security. Have you ever had an experience like that? That's a tool. It's that simple. Find two words of what God has done in your life because of what Jesus Christ has done. So I was lost and scared. At the age of four, four or five years, I gave my life to Jesus. And that morning when Mrs. Massey was sharing in Sunday school about Jesus, I was extremely scared to go and spend eternity in a place called hell. I was lost and I was scared. But because somebody shared this gospel story of Jesus Christ, the hope that this man died for me and took my sin upon himself, that gave me hope. And it gave me peace. What's your two words that you would use? This is where you were before Jesus. 
And because the gospel message has been shared to you, you have this now in these two words. Share that with somebody and then ask them, hey, have you had an experience like that before? Have you had that change in your life? It's a tool. There's lots of different tools. We have tracks that are down the hallway. Grab a track. Give it to somebody. Say, hey, I'm not sure uh, if you would be willing to read this, but uh, I want to I offer you something that's made a big deal in my life. In fact, my life is totally changed because of what Jesus has done. And this talks a little bit about him. There are tools that have been given to us. They're just tools. Ultimately, it's about displaying and sharing Jesus Christ. But we must be about that. I don't, I don't want West Hill to grow just because we have more people who move into the city and who are already followers of Jesus and, or who come from other churches. I want West Hill to grow because we're sharing the gospel with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and, and, and the people that we walk down the sidewalk with and we're willing to take a little bit of boldness and ask the Lord for a little bit of strength and a little bit of, a little bit of words to say, hey, I'm not sure, Lord, how to do this, but would you help me? And those, those few moments that you would just say, Lord, help me, that he does something great. Because I believe that there are people who want to hear the gospel message, who are, hope, who are hoping and wanting to hear the truth. Are, are all of them? No, they're not. But you guys don't know who that is, and I don't know who that is. We're called to go. We're called to share. So one of the things, if you have a piece of paper there in front of you, I want you to, uh, if you would, Write down a name, or two, or three. Who are you going to pray and ask the Lord that you would be a witness to this week? And start praying about it. And ask the Lord to help you. I think sometimes we get confused. And this passage makes it very clear to us in Acts. We are not the message Now, we can get in the way of the message. We can hinder the message. We may help the message. But you and I are not the message. We're not the message that the people need to hear. The message is the good news. The message is all about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And Paul writes here, the evidence is all around us. Look at the general revelation. It's a theological term. General revelation shows that there is truly a God. We have been shown special revelation where we have been seen, we have heard the good news of Jesus, have been told the specifics of how God brings people to himself. And we get to share that message. We are not the message. I will let people down and I will always let people down. My standard will never be perfect for you or for those who are lost. And I think sometimes we're waiting to be perfect before we can actually share with somebody. And, and the reality Paul is saying here, listen, we're not the message. Paul and Barnabas are like, we're not, we're not the message but let us tell you what the message is all about. It's about Jesus. 
And so, how will we proclaim to those who God has placed in our life? Will you pray with me, Lord? Thank you for the gospel message that has come to us. It's come to me. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here this morning that's never heard the gospel message. And it, the gospel message is this, Lord. It's that you sent your son, Jesus. Jesus gave his life dying upon the cross for our sin. Taking the sin that we had and laying it upon himself. All the disobedience and dying in our place. That his blood was poured out so that we could experience your forgiveness. He died and was buried and he rose again three days later, showing that power, displaying that power. And the same power that we read that Paul displayed in the healing of this lame man, that power resides in us because you have forgiven us of our sin. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone today that needs to repent and turn from their sin and to trust Jesus as their Savior, that they would do that. That they would accept that good news. That they would find hope and life and peace in Jesus. Lord, I pray for us as Vince will play here in just a moment, that we'll spend time in prayer reflecting and thanking you for what you've given us. But that we will also commit, that we would make a commitment today to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, that we would, that we would be willing to suffer whatever may come so that others may hear and see Jesus. Lord, may we allow your spirit to guide us and to direct us so that we would be obedient people. We are called to be your ambassadors. Help us to do that well, Lord. To proclaim of your great glory. Thank you for the life you've given us this life here and now and the relationship that we get to enjoy. But Lord, also the life that is to come. Oh, Lord, we cannot wait. And we look forward to that day where we'll spend all of eternity with you. It is still daylight and there's still work to be done. So help us to be faithful. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thanks, Vince. I'm going to have uh, Pastor Ed and Pastor David and, and Ray Hesketh. They're going to come and we're going to spend uh, just a few moments here at the end of the service this morning. Um, just spending some special time to uh, um, acknowledge uh, the past, uh, look at the change that is taking place, and then also looking to the future and what God has in store. And so, Pastor Ed, you start us. There's a cement block just right outside uh, under the portico that some of you probably never seen. It has a date on it. And that date is the cornerstone, the date that this building was erected. And this building, I, Gail and I came to Akron in 1991, and we just live right over here. So we always pass by here. It always looked the same as since we came. And this building has been basically the same. A few changes here and there, I understand, since that time. And it hasn't, uh, hasn't changed much. And another thing that hasn't changed, and that is God has not changed. Because it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God does not change. He cannot change. He's immutable is the theological term for that. And in Psalm uh, 18.2, verse 2, it says, The Lord is my rock and fortress. He's that place I can go. He's that one who can deliver me, protect me, help me. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So God doesn't change. He is still and always has been a God of love. He loves us. He's a God who forgives us. 
He's a God who protects us. He's a God who provides for us. And so many other things of how, uh, how matchless he is in everything. God is faithful. He's faithful to his people. He takes care of us. And he will always take care of us. But this congregation has changed through, the, through a period of time. You have changed. Even if you've only been here just, I've only been here now, it's coming up on 10 years. I can't believe it's that, it's that long since I retired, but 10 years. And I know my hair is thinner and uh, I don't want to get into all of that, but uh, it's obvious uh, to you and don't laugh and don't, uh, you know, celebrate too much because uh, it's happened to you too. Uh, <clears throat> We have all changed. The congregation has changed. As a matter of fact, there are still only two living charter members of this church. And they're, they're not here this morning because they're in nursing homes or they're unable to be here. In 1971, when this building was built and had the first service, how many of you here this morning were here present for that? One. One. Is that Pam? That's Pam. <clears throat> that's, that's fantastic, Pam, that she was five years old back then. Yeah. Uh, congregations, have, people come and go. And there's, people are constantly changing uh, the number or who the people are in a congregation are constantly changing. And so that God's the same. It's still his place. It's still uh, a place where we come together and worship. Uh, but God does not change, but we do. <clears throat> we all need to be changing. The biggest change that we've undergone is the fact that at some point, hopefully, all of us have experienced salvation from light into dark, I mean, from darkness into light. And God is in the process of transforming us every day now. Till the end of our life, he's transforming us to become more like Jesus. And that's our purpose here. So James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, to whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God does not change. He is faithful and every good and perfect gift comes from him and he's the one who provides. So it's good for us. God intends for us to have a glimpse back ever so often. Israel was always having to, uh, called upon or God established certain festival times and days in order for them to remember. Remember where they came from. They weren't there in that place anymore but to remember. And then God asks us to do that. Even this says, do this ever so often in remembrance of me. And we do. So let's uh, just have a prayer. Dear Father, as we look back with this glimpse of thankfulness for who you are since 1971, the beginning of this congregation's worship in this place, and we will continue in the future until you come. That there will be uh, a congregation, the God's people meeting here. This is just a, a church house 
It houses the congregation and people of God. This is not, this building is not the church. We are the church. And you're transforming us and you keep putting us into place and accomplishing what you want with us and through us. And you keep providing for us. And we thank you that you uh, minister to us every single time that we're here in some way. And we thank you for it. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. It's almost ironic that this second part falls to me. Um, most of y'all know that I'm not from Ohio. I grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania. Um, and you're very familiar with some organization from that area. And you love them dearly, right, Ryan? No. My life has in many ways just been defined by change. And in many of those situations, um, let's just say I am one who tends to just blunder forward and let it happen. A lot of people are not like that, and I recognize that. Change can be very hard to accept. Change can be very hard to manage through. Um, the wonderful thing is, as I have learned in my many blunders, is God is always with us. God is directing our paths. God is guarding us through those times. God is upholding us. Even when we are struggling with what life brings our way. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, and I'm going to read this from the Living Bible. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, change is hard and can be confusing. Our lives are full of beginnings and endings, gains, losses, things that work, things that don't. There is so much that changes so frequently, it's easy to forget that you, like Pastor Ed reminded us, are changeless. You tell us that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are everlasting. Your promises have always been and always will be true. And we can rejoice in that. God, we acknowledge that too often when things change, we want to focus on ourselves. Our sadness, our sense of loss, our desire to hold on to what we know and love. Lord, I thank you for understanding our grief. But even more, I thank you for not leaving us there. Lord, you are our strength, our hope. 
and our peace. Help us to hold on to that truth that no change happens outside of your presence. Keep our hearts and minds focused on you and the kingdom work that you have for us to do. Help us to rest knowing that this change that we're going through now is intended to help us in that kingdom work. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your perfect love and changeless grace that surrounds us, upholds us, and strengthens us through your indwelling spirit. Amen. They've got their papers. I've got my phone. So I've been here for a while. Um, I've been here since, I think, second grade is when our family came. And so I've been here for a long time. I have seen a lot of change throughout this building, throughout this congregation. Uh, and it's all been great stuff. And um, through all of that, God has always called us and always will call us to proclaim his glory through all of it, to share his gospel, to share who he is. And so that does not change. God may provide different means, different ways, different tools. Uh, Pastor Ed already covered some of the things I was going to say for us to do those things. Um, But those things are not the church. As he said, we are the church. Those who know Christ as their Savior are the church. This building, this stage, these pews, everything that's going to be changing here soon is not the church. They are not what shares the gospel. God has asked us to do that. He has called us to do that. We are his church. And so as we look forward, it also says in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's patience is unbelievable. We can't even fathom it. Um, And it says he desires that none should perish. Now, God is not a blind God. He he understands that not everybody will come to know him. Just like me as a parent, I desire my children to obey. And I understand that's not always going to happen. But that desire is there for all to know. And, And how does he do that? He does that through us, through the church, those who know him as Savior. And so as we move forward, as we look forward into the future, there may be different ways, different tools, different means that we're able to do that. But ultimately, if anything was to crumble, to fall down, it still comes down to us and his word. We are still able to proclaim his glory and to share who he is, no matter what changes are made. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for who you are. Lord, a lot's been said about change, and you are unchanging, and we give you praise for that. Lord, you have called us to proclaim who you are, to share your word, to share your gospel. And no matter what is done, we will continue to do that. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. I'll use this. Um, I thought of the song and it's the psalm, but there is one day in your house than a thousands elsewhere. 
And I hope that's true of your heart, that it's been good to be together, good to be challenged, good to be encouraged, good to be reminded of our great, our great God and his great love. And um, thank you for being here today. The Lord bless you. And uh, as you move forward, I pray for each of you that we would be faithful, that we would be faithful in living out our faith. And uh, I look forward as we pray, pray for those one to three individuals that you wrote down to hear what is God going to do. And maybe it's somebody that you didn't even write down. Maybe it's somebody else that God has already ordained for you to have interaction with this week. And I'm excited to, to hear of how God's going to use that. May God bless you and keep you. It has been a good day to be in the house of the Lord. I'll dismiss you row by row. And uh, for next week, that's what I was going to do. I knew there was something else. For next week, as you can see, there's kind of already been uh, a little change here. And uh, next week, our hope and desire is that we're going to be outside underneath the portico. Um, unless it's raining, uh, we're going to be out there. If it's cool or cold and uh, you don't want to sit out there, the gym is still going to be set up. We have the live feed. We're hoping that that live feed will still be able to be done online and in the gym. Let me encourage you, if you're online, and half of you probably already left, but if you're still online and you haven't wanted to come, now is the time to come. Come, we're outside. If it's not raining, come. Be with the be with the people of God. And so we're planning on being out there. So if you still park over there, you can walk around. Um, but uh, that's our hope. That's our desire as we gather to worship next Sunday. And we'll see how it goes. And uh, a little exciting, a little nervous, but a little exciting to have a different venue. And that's why I opened the windows so that you got used to the traffic. Okay. So the noise won't distract you next week. Can I pray for you real quick before we go? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather uh, with these brothers and sisters in, in Christ. And I just pray that as we leave, that you would go before us, uh, light our path, Lord, that we may trust you and live by faith and not by sight. Lord, we know that you love us. And yet, Lord, so often we can allow different circumstances and different things to overwhelm us or to stand in the way of our faith walk with you. And I just pray that you would help us to walk by faith this week. And may you do great and extraordinary things through us for your glory and for your kingdom, not for ours. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.